John chapter 18, verse 28. Then the Jewish leaders took Jesus from Caiaphas to the palace of the Roman governor. By now it was early morning, and to avoid ceremonial uncleanliness, they did not enter the palace because they wanted to be able to eat at the Passover. So Pilate came out to them and asked, What charges are you bringing against this man? If he were not a criminal, they replied, we would not have handed him over to you. Pilate said, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. But we have no right to execute anyone, they objected. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea? Jesus asked. Or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew? Pilate replied. Your own people and chief priests handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. What is truth, retorted Pilate. With this, he went out again to the Jews, gathering there and said, I find no basis for charge against him. But it is your custom for me to release to you one prisoner at the time of the Passover. Do you want me to release the king of the Jews? They shouted back, No, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now Barabbas had taken part in an uprising. Well, in one of uh, the most famous scenes in all of film history, Tom Cruise plays a Navy lawyer called Lieutenant Caffey. And if you know the film, you know that he has the job of defending two uh, soldiers who've been accused of murdering another soldier called Santiago. And there in the dock in the courtroom sits Colonel Jessup. Colonel Jessup has served his entire life in the Navy. And he does not take kindly to being questioned and poked by this young, ignorant lieutenant. If you've seen A Few Good Men, you will remember when Kathy starts to examine Jessup about whether he gave the Code Red order. A Code Red order is a command, an illegal command, given to assault another soldier. It's given to assault somebody who is not performing, and the idea is either that they quit or that they buck up their ideas. It was completely illegal. And as, um, as Caffey is cross-examining Jessup, he starts grilling him on whether he actually gave that illegal order. I might have to try an accent. You'll have to forgive me, but it can't really be done otherwise, can it? Colonel Jessup, did you order the code red? And the judge intervenes. You don't have to answer that question. 
But Jessup isn't going to duck it. I'll answer that question. You want answers? I think I'm entitled to them, says Kathy. You want answers? I want the truth. You can't handle the truth, is the famous line. And we all know what Jessup is getting at. He's saying that this young, ignorant, naive lieutenant simply is too ignorant of the ways of the world to understand the kind of complexity that Jessup has to deal with, to to protect his soldiers, to protect the wider world. But Kathy knows that far more important than all of that is that we know the truth. Whatever the consequences, whatever happens as a result. And as we continue the story of Jesus' trial this morning, Jesus is the one in the dock. But unlike Jessup, he is not in the dock because he has done anything wrong. And unlike Jessup, he is not in the dock because he is trying to hide the truth. Jesus has come to reveal the truth so that you would know the truth, you would believe the truth, and you would be saved by the truth. Now, last week, we saw Jesus' religious trial before the high priests. This week, we've got his political trial before Pilate. But it's much, much more than just the next installment of the legal drama of Jesus' passion narrative as, as, as the journey towards his death keeps going. Matthew helped to see last week that before Annas and Caiaphas, what was really going on was the contrast between those wicked, abusive, and manipulative high priests and Jesus, who is the great high priest, the perfect high priest, and the perfect sacrifice. And we're going to see the same contrast this week. Jesus is in the dock. And you might think that means that he's the powerless one because, humanly speaking, he's standing before Pilate. Pilate is the regional governor of the Roman Empire. He is, at that point, the most powerful man in Jerusalem that weekend. But the point of the contrast is to see Pilate has no authority over Jesus. Jesus is the king of an infinitely greater kingdom. And the question for Pilate, the question for us this morning, is whether we're listening to Jesus and are part of his kingdom. That's the question that really matters above everything else. And the way we're going to see that is we're going to look at three of the questions that Pilate asks during the course of this interrogation. And to each one of those, we're going to see that Jesus turns the tables on Pilate. Pilate thinks he's in control in all the questions that he's asking. And Jesus reveals his ultimate authority as the king of the kingdom by turning the tables on Pilate. First question is what Pilate asks the Jewish prosecutors in verse 29. What charges are you bringing against this man? But that question begs another question. Why have Jews brought a Jew to the Gentiles? Because that's what's going on. The Jews despise the Romans. They've taken over their holy land They've removed some powers from the Jewish people. So the Jewish leaders have already had their time to examine Jesus. Why have the Jewish leaders brought a Jew to a Roman? They're not looking to appease Jesus' followers by having some kind of independent 
exam, that Jesus' disciples haven't lodged an appeal because of the mistrial in the Sanhedrin. Tim explained, look at verse 31. The reason that they have to go to Pilate is they wanted Jesus to be executed. They needed Pilate's authority in order to crucify Jesus. And that explains this tension all the way through the narrative with this battle of politics. You, you pick up as you read through the story that all is not well between Pilate and the Jewish leaders. In verse 30, the Jews, they just want Pilate to rubber stamp their decision. They don't want him to, to examine the evidence. They don't want him to push back on the verdict. As far as they're concerned, they've brought a man to Pilate. That should be enough. No more questions asked. Just sign on the dotted line so that we can crucify Jesus. <laughs> but Pilate's not going to be manipulated. He doesn't want to play this political game. In fact, verse 31, his initial response is, well, if you're not raising a question of Roman law that I need to get involved in, he's a Jew, you're all Jews, go figure it out yourselves. But that's not going to work, either for the Jews or ultimately for Pilate. It's not going to work for the Jews because they don't have the legal power to crucify people. No Roman province did. It was one of the powers that the Roman Empire reserved for itself as part of its way of governing in order to preserve peace and protect its citizens. The, the local provinces weren't able to give out these kind of death sentences. Now, in Acts 7, you know that the Jewish leaders stoned Stephen. That's because they took the law into their own hands and they stoned him. They didn't crucify him. Jewish leaders are desperate to crucify Jesus. They need to do that because they know in Deuteronomy 21 that God had said that anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. The Jewish leaders don't just want to kill Jesus. They want to destroy Jesus his name, his reputation, and all the things that he has been teaching. They want to prove to all of the onlooking Jews that this is a cursed criminal. Couldn't possibly be the Messiah of God's people. And for that, they needed Pilate. Which meant that from Pilate's perspective, this whole issue couldn't just be waved away either. Pilate normally lived in a palace in Caesarea. It's about 70 miles away on the coast. The only reason he's in Jerusalem is to keep the peace during the Passover festival. And right now, the biggest threat to that peace is this battle between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And for the Jewish leaders, this battle shows us how much they wanted to be rid of Jesus. When we read John's account, John doesn't even tell us that the Jewish leaders explained what charges Jesus was being charged with when they come to Pilate. They are so desperate just to be rid of Jesus that they don't even care about the due process of justice. They've rocked up. Pilate should just sign on the dotted line. They just need Jesus out of the way. And out of the way in a way that doesn't interfere with their lives. You see that in verse 28. It's a great irony of Verse 28, here they are. They are quite willing to assume guilt instead of innocence. 
they're quite willing to force through a judgment against a man upon whom no charges have been established. They're quite willing to make all of this happen in the early hours of the morning so that the rest of the city have no idea what's going on, but <laughs> but they wouldn't enter Pilate's palace. Because if they did, they'd become ceremonially unclean, i.e., they couldn't eat their Passover meal. Isn't that staggering? Sin exposes our priorities, doesn't it? For the Jews, couldn't care two hoots, wouldn't lose a minute's sleep if they could force the execution of an innocent man in Jesus. But they didn't want anything to get in the way of them having their annual meal. I wonder for you this morning, especially if you're not yet a Christian, what is it that is more important to you than listening to Jesus? What is the thing that you just do not want him to interfere with? Let's circle back to verse 29. Pilate's question to the prosecution is, what charge do you bring? And given all of the injustice and the evil that we have seen so far, you might be thinking that Jesus is on the back foot. Maybe you're thinking this seems to not fit with Psalm 2. Because here it does look indeed like the nations are not conspiring in vain, but seem to have everything under control. Because the Jewish leaders are going to get the Roman leaders to sign off on the crucifixion of Jesus. It looks like Jesus is on the back foot. Till you get to verse 32. This took place to fulfill what Jesus had said about the kind of death he was going to die. Over all the injustice, all of the wickedness, all of this political infighting that had the life of a man in the balance, here is Jesus being reminded, sorry, here is John reminding us that Jesus is sovereignly reigning and reigning over all of it. Every single part of everything that is going on. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 3 and John chapter 8 and John chapter 12 that he would have to be lifted up as a description of the crucifixion. You get into Matthew's gospel. Jesus even prophesied that the chief priests and the teachers of the law will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. Jesus promised this would happen. He is here not because he is the subject of an all-powerful empire that is finally going to crush a very small ministry in the middle of Israel. He is here ultimately not because of the evil, the wickedness, and the injustice, but because he said this would happen. That is the power of Jesus Christ. He's the Son of God, and every word that he speaks will be fulfilled just as he was fulfilling the whole of God's eternal plan for our salvation which means that for us this morning we have a different question to ask our question is do we do you do I trust him do you trust this savior who speaks the very words of God have you built your life upon the fact that everything that he has said will happen because of who he is? 
If you're a Christian here this morning, that wonderful truth about our ability to trust in Jesus because of who he is, is wonderfully encouraging. Because you think about the circumstances of your life. You may not be in a season right now. It may have been a season in the past or for you. It may be yet to come. But the Lord calls us to walk through hard seasons. Hard seasons. Whereas James was helping us think about how we can pray. Sometimes if you're in one of those seasons at the moment, it feels like you can't even think of the words to pray. Which is why for so many Christians, that Lord's Prayer is such a precious gift because there are times when it's one of the only things that you can pray. What comfort do we have? Not only that Jesus has experienced something similar and knows our weakness. Not only that Jesus has promised, never will I leave you and never will I forsake you. We have the wonderful promise here in the lived out story of Jesus' experience that he is sovereignly ruling over all of it, even the hard seasons. And perhaps we would say, especially the hard seasons, not that his sovereignty is greater in any other, but we need to remember it all the more. And things are really hard. And here we have this wonderful picture to remind us that Jesus is sovereign over all of it. Even the dark path that he had to walk in order to win our salvation. You can trust him. Even when the night is long and dark. Now, Pilate moves inside his palace to ask his next question. If you remember last week, the narrative alternated between Peter and the priests. This week, the narrative alternates between Jesus and the Jewish leaders. And here, Pilate comes inside. The Jewish leaders aren't going to. They don't want to get dirty. And now, Pilate starts questioning Jesus. And he asks him a number of questions, but really, they all flow from this big question at the top of the list. Are you a king. That's the question that kind of dominates a lot of the narrative from chapter 18 and 19. Are you holding yourself out to be a king? And in verse 33, uh, the Greek begins with the word you. In Greek, you can shuffle the word order around in a way that we can't really do in English in order to bring emphasis. And here is Pilate looking at this man saying, You are the king of the Jews? You get this sense of (laughs) surprise and befuddlement and disbelief. Jesus isn't a muscle man who's going to lead an army into an uprising against the Roman Empire. Pilate can see that. And, And in the other Gospels, when Pilate asks this question of Jesus, Jesus responds immediately by saying, you have said so. But not in John. If you look down into verse 37, he will give that same answer. It's not that there's any conflict between the Gospels. But what happens in John's Gospel is he slows down the story so that we can understand a bit more of why Jesus responds the way that he does. Jesus' response is his own question. Is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me. Jesus isn't being difficult. Jesus isn't trying to dodge the question. 
He asks the question in order to be able to answer Pilate's question truthfully. You see, if Jesus didn't clarify for Pilate, Jesus knows what's going on, but if Jesus didn't clarify for Pilate what he meant, if Pilate's absorbed all the ideas that the Jewish leaders have been promulgating, have been spreading about Jesus, then a simple yes or no could have been misinterpreted. If Pilate is thinking like a Jewish leader because of everything that he's heard, if Jesus responds with, yes, I am, Pilate could misinterpret that and think, so you do think you're the leader of a people in a political sense. And what does he as a Roman emperor think, as a Roman governor think? He thinks you're a threat to the Roman Empire. Or if Jesus simply said no, Pilate could think, so you're not holding yourself out to be a king of the Jewish people in any sense whatsoever. That's why Jesus is pushing back on Pilate, not to be difficult. He needs Pilate to understand, is Pilate asking this question for himself because he genuinely wants to know who Jesus is? Or has Pilate been brainwashed by all of the the blind prejudice of others? Same is true for us today. Who is shaping the way you think about Jesus? Are you allowing just the the popular opinion of our day to shape the way that you think about the man who said that he is the savior of the world? Or are you genuinely wanting to know? Because if you genuinely want to know, Jesus himself promised that everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. If you are genuinely seeking, if your heart is open to find out who is Jesus, and your your views haven't been completely colored by all of the opposition of the world, Jesus says he will reveal himself to you. That's the promise of his word. But Pilate's not interested in making his own discovery. He says in verse 35, I'm not a Jew. I'm not interested in getting involved in your Jewish ideas. The only thing that Pilate's bothered with is whether Jesus has committed a crime under Roman rule and Pilate needs to get involved. So Jesus answers Pilate's question. (laughs) But he does it by showing him how much bigger the question is than anything Pilate could possibly have imagined. Jesus turns the table on Pilate's second question in verse 36. Jesus said, My kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jewish leaders. But now, my kingdom is from another place. Yes, Jesus is king, but he is not king of an earthly nature, meaning that He's not the would-be king of a small province under the Roman Empire called Israel. That's not to say that Jesus' kingdom doesn't impact our world. It's not to say that Jesus' kingdom isn't over and above all of it. It's to say that Jesus' kingdom isn't limited to a specific parcel of earth on planet earth. His kingdom is bigger. His kingdom is beyond His kingdom is from another place. The source, the power, the destination of Jesus' kingdom cannot be seen on Pilate's map 
of the Roman Empire. It's bigger. And that's why Jesus says he's come. Verse 37, you say I am a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The reason Jesus came into the world is to explain the truth of his kingdom. That's why Jesus came. That's the purpose of his mission. What's the result? The result of Jesus' coming is to bring everyone who will listen to see and believe that he is the king of the kingdom of truth. The truth about his kingdom is that we are men and women who have been created and live in a created world. We are men and women who are sinful and live in a sinful world. We are sinful men and women who live in a world that will be judged by the King of all glory. Here is Jesus coming to reveal to us the truth of what happens. And our only hope is that God would reveal himself to us because we otherwise couldn't possibly see him, understand him, or be able to relate to him. Our hope is that God would not only reveal himself, but he would reveal a way back to himself. That there would be a way for our sin to be dealt with. That it would be possible for us to be redeemed, bought back at great price. So that we can go back to being in God's fellowship as Adam and Eve were before sin entered the world. And that, Jesus tells us, that is why he came. To testify to the truth of the eternal, righteous kingdom of God. And make it possible, doing everything necessary so that we can become part of it. Now, Pilate's response couldn't sound more postmodern. <laughs> what is truth? We don't know what he meant by that. We can't push it too hard. We don't know whether it's the cry of philosophical angst as Pilate had this dilemma about what truth really is or or whether it's just a question to get to the end of the conversation but either way Pilate doesn't hang around for Jesus to give any answer and the great irony of course is that Pilate's asking the wrong question there before him in his dock is the son of God who said to Thomas I am the way and the truth and the life No one comes to the Father except through me. Truth is not a what, but a who. Truth isn't found in mastering a formula. It's not found by constantly examining ever smaller atoms and elements in our universe. Truth is found in a personal relationship with the one who is truth. In a relationship that opens our eyes to see with spirit-given sight what really is true and right and lasting and good. How we can genuinely understand what mercy and grace and compassion are all about. All of those things are only possible if the Lord Jesus Christ gives us sight to see the world as it really is. One of the writers on this text describes Jesus as the plumb line for all things, seen and unseen, the lens through which the world is interpreted and by which it must be judged. 
Jesus is truth. And he is the king of the kingdom of truth. Which means the question for us is, are we listening to him? He's the only way any of us can come to the Father. The real question isn't whether you can handle the truth. Nobody can handle Jesus. The question is whether you are listening to him. Whether you are following the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. And that gets us to Peter, uh, Pilate's final question. This time asked of the crowd that are gathering outside of his house. When he says to them, shall I release him? Pilate announces his verdict about Jesus. I find no basis for a charge against him. Meaning not only is Jesus not guilty, but I can't even find any reason to charge him with anything. So now Pilate's going to admit three times here and twice in chapter 19, that as far as the Roman Empire is concerned, Jesus has done nothing wrong. Bear that in mind when we come to John 19 next week. Pilate floats an idea. He knows that he needs to offer the Jews something. Because they're not, at this point, with all of this mob building up, a little bit like all of that drama that was building up as people were trying to get into the football stadium last night. You just sense tension and the prospect of danger. That's the kind of situation that Pilate's looking at with this crowd outside his palace. So he's got to do something. He's got to appease the Jews, but he also knows that Jesus isn't guilty. So what he does is he suggests the Passover pardon which is this tradition that he's developed, a bit like we would know it as a presidential pardon. You've got guilty people who have been convicted, who are in prison, but the people can petition for the president to just be kind and release somebody who's guilty. So here's the plan as far as Pilate's concerned. He is going to enable everybody to save face. The Jews need to know that Jesus has been treated as a criminal. But Pilate knows that Jesus isn't guilty. So his solution is, why don't we have Jesus as the Passover pardon this year? It would have been a great plan. <laughs> but Pilate misread his audience, who are desperate for blood. So desperate, in fact, that they would even vote for a criminal like Barabbas, to be released instead. And all that John tells us about Barabbas is that he'd taken part in an uprising. Mark's gospel tells us a bit more. It tells us that he was in prison with rebels who'd committed murder in an uprising. You get a sense of what the crowd are after here. They are so desperate to get rid of Jesus, even though there's no justice reason to require it, that they are willing to welcome back into their midst a convicted murderer so that they can be done with Jesus. But that's not all that's going on here. We're not only meant to focus just on the anger of this crowd. We are supposed to see how Barabbas is preparing us to understand the amazing love of God at the cross. And John shows us that through his name and through the custom. In Hebrew, Barabbas is a composite name, meaning of two parts. And in English, we have loads of names like that. Davidson. Originally came from somebody, eons back, whose father's name was David. He was the son, and he took on the family name Davidson. 
And there are all sorts of other examples where you see that their family line continues and the name reminds you of where they've come from. In Hebrew, Barabbas is Bar Abba, meaning son of a father. What are the Jews doing? They are exchanging a son of a father for the son of the father. And what do we know about Barabbas? Well, we know that he's a robber. Jesus uses the same word in John 10, the great passage about him as the great high priest. And he describes that threat, if you remember, about the thieves and the robbers who would what? Break in and steal their great goal was to cause harm. In fact, in, the, in John 10, Jesus says to steal and kill and destroy. And John's reminding us of who Jesus is by contrast to Barabbas. Jesus is the exact opposite to Barabbas. Barabbas is desperate to cause harm, which he's already done, and to kill and steal and destroy, which he's already done. And he's the one that the Jews say they want. But who they want is the exact opposite to who they need. They don't need a murderous son of a father. They need the son of the father who will lay down his life as the good shepherd to buy the lives of the sheep. Don't deserve to be bought. And that's what John's preparing us for with this custom. His pilot thinking he's just going to Pull out the rabbit from the hat and have this wonderful solution by this Passover pardon idea that they've been using for how long? Who knows? But what's actually happening? There, there under his nose is the Son of God who is the final Passover lamb. He is the one whose sacrifice is going to enable sinful people who stand guilty and condemned in and of themselves to be freed from the power and penalty of sin. This swap is preparing us to see that just as with every section of this trial, Jesus is the one in charge. Jesus wants us to see that he is the substitutionary son that we need. He's not a helpless victim He's not been overpowered by the forces of the Roman Empire. He's the one who is fulfilling exactly everything that he has said needs to happen in order for himself to be the substitute that I need and you need if we are to enter the kingdom of God and be with him forever. Pilate's tradition isn't the main event. It's a trailer for the gospel. That's what we're to see with everything that is unfolding with Barabbas, which means the final question for us is, have we put our faith in the substitute? He is the only one who can show us true truth. He's the only one who can possibly pay the penalty for our sin. He's the only one who can bring us into the everlasting kingdom of God. Trust him. Listen to him and put your faith in him. Let's pray. Great God in heaven, we bow before you, humbled by the power and majesty of Jesus. 
we are so familiar, so many of us, with this description of the horror and the injustice and the evil and the wickedness of everything that led up to his death. But Father, your servant John is showing us that your son is sovereignly in charge of even this horror. And so we bow before the power, the majesty, the glory, the sovereign hand of our Savior and want to praise you, Lord Jesus, for your willingness, knowing that all of this would have to happen, to endure all of it in order to win our eternal life. We praise you because you are indeed the King of Kings. We praise you because indeed the nations may conspire, but you are the God who sits in heaven and laughs. For your Son is the King of the Kingdom of God. And I ask and pray that if there are any here this morning who have yet to bow the knee, who have yet to listen to, to trust in, and to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, please would you break into their hearts. Help them to see all that Jesus is. Help them to see how desperately we need to entrust our lives into his hands. For Father, as we were reminded so vividly this week, life is fragile. And all of us live on the very edge of knowing when we will be brought from this temporal earth to our eternal future. Please, great God of heaven, would you prepare us for that and remove any fear of judgment or any concern of meeting you because we know by trusting in Jesus that we have received righteousness where we didn't deserve it. We've been given life where we deserve judgment and death. And Father, all of it can come to all who will repent of their sin and believe in Jesus Christ. Please, would your spirit give that gift, even today, to some gathered here, to some watching online, to some who will listen in the future, we pray, that they may sing your praise for all eternity and you may receive all the glory. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.